From KIOS in Omaha and Exarban Creative, you are listening to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Nobluck. Today we're continuing our series exploring the people running in our municipal election that's happening right now. I'm talking with mayoral candidate Jasmine Harris on today's show. I talk about how North Omaha still looks the same as it did when I was five years old. How do we overcome that stagnation? We want young professionals to stay here and to be here because it's going to be young professionals who continue moving the city forward. We have to have them at the tables. We have to have them in the room informing how we create an Omaha that's going to be able to work for not only them, but like I said earlier, for the generation after us, for our children. Harris talks about her life, her childhood in Omaha, what keeps her here, what she wants to see change, and her vision for the city moving forward if she becomes mayor. Stay tuned for that conversation right here on Riverside Chats. And welcome to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Noblock. Today we're continuing to talk to the people who want to represent you, who want to be in government, to figure out who are they as people, not just sound bites. Today that's a conversation with mayoral candidate Jasmine Harris. Harris is one of several people challenging Gene Stothard, who is our Republican incumbent, We talk about her vision for the city, as well as her disillusionment with some of the ways that the city has been run over the past several decades. In particular, she talks about problems that she had when she was younger that are still problems that exist today. And I think it's a good conversation to at least see two different approaches to governance. We often sort of see this idea of conservatism and liberalism as this challenge of stasis versus change, of I'm comfortable with the way things are versus I think things can be better. And a lot of these conversations have been about this question of do you want the city to stay the same because you're happy with it or do you want it to change into something that's potentially unknown and is your fear of the unknown enough to not want to have some of these conversations should change be completely gradual should be radical these are all the questions that i think are good to have and i look forward to these conversations becoming sort of dominant because it means that we're talking about real issues it means that we are talking about problems that exist for real people and i've been excited to see a lot of people running who have real everyday problems because i think it's crazy to assume that anybody can represent you without understanding what your life is like. So I was really happy to get the chance to talk to Jasmine Harris, as well as some of the other people who are currently in the running. As always, you can find our backlog of those conversations wherever you get podcasts. But without further ado, here is my conversation with Jasmine Harris, Omaha mayoral candidate. So uh, I was looking up your platform and on your website. And I guess I want to start with kind of a broad question, which is somebody told me recently that they feel like my show is mainly about why do people stay in Omaha or stay in the Midwest? So I want to start with that because you're from Omaha. Why, what is it that kept you here and what is it that still keeps you here? So when I won the uh, Toyo award back in uh, 2017, we had our program in 2018 and I kind of, in my speech, I talked about I had this um, this relationship with Omaha as when I was growing up, I, I just had to leave here. I felt that the only way for me to advance and to uh, do better in life was to leave Omaha. And I did for uh, um, about a year. I went to New Mexico State University and moved back. And my outlook on Omaha changed when I started getting myself more involved in the community and um it's like a mind what they call it a a growth mindset and uh started really trying to help the community in ways that were meaningful to me and that's why i decided to stay my family is from omaha um my support system is here and i really want to give back to my community and i think that's what keeps me here i want to be able to better the place in which i grew up and lived in so that's why I continue to stay. Yeah, I mean, I, I hear that a lot, and it, it seems like there's this responsibility a lot of people do feel when they stay in Omaha, which is almost this condition that I have to believe that I can change some things to really embrace this place. Uh, so, I mean, like, I guess let's start maybe going further back. What was your upbringing in Omaha like? It was, I think, like any childhood, really, you know, there were things that happen in life that you're not happy about 
but overall, I believe I had a good uh, childhood. I'm born and raised from uh, North Omaha, and uh, I have two brothers and my mother, but my extended family is um, real that supported. So having my grandmother here and my aunts and cousins, we really um, have a strong network and just being with them all the time vacationing, like going to where my grandmother's from, Shreveport, Louisiana. Um, those were those things that really brought me joy and um, enjoying like going to summer camps when I could, things like that. that that's what my childhood was. Uh, just really family oriented and being around people. So were you into politics at all as a kid? I was not. <laughs> it's funny. Um, I remember in 10th grade when we had to take the uh, required American government class. I really didn't like it. I was just like, okay, I know that I had to register to vote and that was my duty to vote. And that was about as extensive as my politics got. Yeah. It's weird how, uh, it seems like in government, unless you're somebody who's really locked into that, it is tough to care about all that stuff, but then I don't know about you, but I certainly felt, uh, a few years after I'd taken a, a government class in high school that, wow, I wish that I had paid a ton more attention to that because I, I feel like I've been picking up all the pieces of things <laughs> that had been explained to me before. Uh, and now I have to do it on my own. But so, I mean, uh, for you, I mean, so what, what were your interests then when you were a kid, if it wasn't, if it wasn't government and politics, what, what was drawing your, uh, your interest? <laughs> um, I was really into music. I'm, I I love all different kinds of music. I was in concert choir and doing the all city choir and things like that. And it was either that or science and, and, and medical based stuff. So it was funny. Um, people, I was telling people, I was, you know, trying to decide what the career path was going to be. I was like, I'm either going to be in the music industry or I'm going to be a doctor. I don't know which one. And they're like, wow two ends of the spectrum jazz. And I was like, well, if one doesn't pan out, I'll go to the other one. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of music? I love all kinds of music. Um, hip hop, of course, R&B, but I've also grew up listening to rock and roll. So it runs the gamut. And so, I mean, I, I've talked to a few people lately. Um, like I remember talking to Cammie Watkins recently, and it seems like, there are people who there's almost this idea that people who go into politics are more of the you know they come from like the the non arts brain sort of side of things is what draws you to it but uh, you know it also seems like to do music uh, there's an element of connecting with an audience there's an element of having to figure out what resonates with people and you know speaking to them that there is probably a line to sort of political thinking from that and then i talked to kemi watkins talked to me about doing plays and how that was really helpful for her because she had to learn how to collaborate with people so i mean were you doing things like that uh, were oh, you yeah. were you pursuing music that taught you some lessons or gave you some experience that still resonates today in that same vein yes um when you're in choir you have your different parts you have to collaborate to make the song come across i remember I think it was 10th grade year in concert choir. We did this song called Kashiri, and it was in Japanese. Didn't know what we were singing, but it was so many rises and falls and how the harmonies had to blend. Like, And in that sense, I understand that things have to come together and have to work together in order to reach the goal. And that is, um, I think, a lesson that continues to permeate everything in my life. We, things have to come together. Things have to be uh, harmonious in order for it to be, you know, to reach that effect that needs to happen. So um, eventually you ended up not going into music, right? But I mean, was, was there a, was there a point where you had like, I don't know, a, a group or an album or anything? <laughs> um, senior year in high school was the first year I think um, Northwest had his talent show in a long time and I ended up me and two of my friends ended up being in the talent show I was a rapper so you know we, we did a, a little rap song um and then after that I kind of took a break from music in a sense and got involved again when um I became the choir director at the church I was attending so I directed choir for about seven years at the church um so even though it wasn't a professional uh, move that I made in music, it, it still was there. 
Yeah, well, it, it occurs to me, too, that uh, rap and hip-hop are able to sort of engage with the political moment in a way, or at least societal society and various elements of it and what could change, right? So, I mean, was that helping sort of inform some of your interests or worldview through your relationship with music? I think it became more evident for people who were in the hip-hop world to, that they had a platform to start to be able to educate people on what has been going on. Um, there were some groups back in the day who did that, um, that kind of opened my eyes to different things that were going on um, in different parts of the country. I think now, because it's a bigger platform, people are able to gravitate to it more. And um, those who do step in it, I think they feel like they they have that duty or obligation to use their platform now. So I see it um, that it has evolved. Well, so, okay, so you ended up going uh, the medicine route, and then you went to college outside of Omaha. So, I mean, was there a point where you wanted to uh, go live somewhere else, or was it just sort of like you just needed a break from Omaha to go to college and kind of figure some things out? I thought it was me leaving Omaha for good, <laughs> <laughs> but it didn't work out that way. Um, you know, going out of state, out of state tuition and mm-hmm. things like that. So it, it came, coming back, it was the fiscally responsible thing to do in that moment. Um, we know college costs are astronomical. Um, so that was the reason I came back. Yeah. I, there were points in time when I thought I would leave again, but it never happened. Well, and so, I mean, at some point, I assume uh, to, to be running for office, you, you must have had some sort of point where it's, you're, you're really locked into, all right, what can I do here? And you talked about getting involved with various causes, right? So what were some of the causes that were grounding you to Omaha and keeping you here and then uh, investing you and then or investing you in the place, but then also probably like rejuvenating your interest as you started to see some change happen? Yeah, so I ended up going to UNMC and getting my uh, master's in public health. And that really, for me, um, solidified what I was supposed to be doing, because it's all about prevention. And I turned my focus to addressing those underlying issues in the community. Uh, A big focus of mine as soon as I uh, got out of school was substance use prevention and um, policy and advocacy work and how we can improve lives of um, the quality of life of people through that work. And so that's where I really started digging into how the policy impacts our lives daily, whether that is through um, the physical environment that policy shapes or the social environment in which policy shapes. So marrying that with a personal passion of criminal justice reform, that's where I really started digging into those main issues and those intersections of how government plays a role in how we move our city and our, our states and our country forward. Well, so, and usually when people have some of those realizations, it comes from a place of frustration, right? So, I mean, what were some of the things that you were up against that you knew needed to get changed when you started to get involved? So for me, I tell people I was advocating before I knew what advocating was. Um, My past experiences and and some of my childhood trauma that I had uh, shaped and direct the work that I've been involved with. Uh, There was a time in my life when um, I did move back from school um, and came back home where I was in an unhealthy relationship and, and dealing with um, that childhood trauma where it created a situation where we got into a fight. And so that for me sent my life on a different trajectory. I had to deal with um, the, the consequences of those decisions, right? And so what I started doing is ensuring that I took my experiences and tried to clear paths for other people. Um, I, it, I started spending my whole adult life trying to remove barriers that people face when they come home after incarceration, when they have um, a criminal history, because we know that's what um, continues to set people back further and further. And people start to feel like there's no hope that they're, they can't overcome those barriers. And I believe that we have to take our lived experiences to clear paths. And, and that's for me was uh, how I got involved in a lot of the work that I started doing. If you're just joining us, I'm talking today with Omaha mayoral candidate Jasmine Harris. A lot of uh, politicians, it seems like they like to present themselves as sort of distant from the community. Um, I don't want to say that they're trying to present themselves as 
better than or like you know less vulnerable in the way that humans and communities are but i mean for you it seems like you're, you're approaching this from a place where uh when you talk about your uh your road to advocacy it does come from a place of talking about things that are you know both relatable but then also kind of there's a vulnerability there as well so i mean have you have you been trying to uh i guess how do you sort of merge the uh the sort of the the credibility of like i i guess what i'm trying to say is some people seem to think that the that the to talk about change, to talk about problems they see, and to advocate things, you almost have to come from a detached viewpoint. Do you feel like it's missing something? It's missing some of that vulnerability and that personal element for why people are attached to certain changes that they want to see happen? I am a firm believer that everyday people know the solutions to the problems that our city is facing. I uh, know this because I have not only spent my career facing and addressing those issues, but I face those and overcome those in my personal life. And I believe that we can't keep having this top-down approach to how we're going to move Omaha forward. Um, some of the same things that I faced over 19 years ago as a single mother, we are still struggling with today in our city. And I believe that we have been failed by our leadership in the sense that they have not addressed those basic things that people need in life. And as much as you want to detach yourself from it, I believe we have to do this together. Omaha is not going to be able to move forward unless we all do it together. So what, what are some of those struggles then that are still an issue today that you had over the, over the past decades? Transportation is one of them. Like to be a single mother, uh, trying to get a son to daycare, trying to um, get to class, trying to get to work, Trying to catch our public transportation system was not conducive at all for that. Um, and we still see people struggling today with that. We have um, where people have to hop on a bus and it takes two hours to get to their destination. We have people who are on at jobs or who are on transportation lines where when they get off work, there is no public transportation anymore because they work a later shift. So we have to start improving our transportation system that is still reminiscent of over 19, 20 years ago. Uh, we're still facing that safe and affordable housing problem, and it's getting worse by the day. Trying to find uh, somewhere within affordability when you're not making a lot, you know, a living wage. So we still have jobs where people aren't making living wages. We talk about our unemployment rate being really low, but what we don't talk about enough is underemployment, where people are working three jobs, and but they're still struggling to make ends meet. So those are some of those same things that we've been addressing over the decades that people are still facing today. Yeah, this all makes me think of um, Kurt Anderson just wrote a book called uh, Evil Geniuses, and part of the thesis that he has to it is essentially that there's been this large-scale cultural stasis um, and you know po uh, policy stasis too, I guess, from around the 80s to now that well, you can go back at American history and see large shifts from decade to decade to decade. It seems like a lot has been put into not changing things, and that means also, I mean, a lot of the problems, right? So. What What is it that's been keeping Omaha where it is? I mean, why do you think that some of these same, same problems have not been given attention? Why is it Why is it the same as it was 20 years ago or more? I think it goes back to what you said earlier, where people feel detached. If you're not in the community, if you're not speaking to the people, if people aren't involved in the process of trying to ensure that elected officials know what their problems are, I think that's where we have a disconnect. We have community members who are trying to educate people on what they see day in and day out or have their voices heard so people know this is what we're struggling with. And it seems like their voice isn't being heard in the right places. So, I mean, does that come from as well as, I mean, you run into this problem with the uh, American system, right? Which is, it seems like there are a lot of people who can acknowledge that there are a lot of the elected officials across the board don't seem to really represent certain communities or don't seem to have experiences that are shared by people who are not uh, either at, of an upper class or of just other people in Congress or, you know, at local level, whatever it might be. So, I mean, I guess 
is is there has there been a shift in the type of people who are trying to get into uh, whether it's a municipal um, uh, office or whether it's something higher than that, like the mayor, or whether it's the mayor, whether it's something bigger than that? Do you think that there's been a, a shift that there had to be more people jumping in who are not part of the class that just feels sort of like entitled to holding office? I think there has. I think over since I've really been getting involved, I think there's been a whole shift in everyday people saying, I can do this and I know what people in my community are facing and what they are saying. And I'm going to put myself out there to run for office so that my community has a voice, so that people who I represent and work with have a voice. So there has been, I think, a really uh, big shift in that. So let's go back to your story then. What was the moment where, or it feels like I always ask this question then and people always tell me, well, it's more of a culmination of a lot, but what was it for you that pushed you <laughs> to actually commit to running for office and running for mayor? Again, it's working day in and day out with people and seeing the struggle. I had um, a few people who aren't involved in politics or in government ask me, when are you going to be our next mayor? And for me in that moment, it was people want something different. They want someone who is going to ensure they are being heard and who represents them. They want somebody they know that they can talk to. And that, for me, I think solidified it. So, I mean, what was it just the the fact that you are able to sort of get involved in causes and you were seeing some traction that people said you're, you know, you should run for higher office? Or, I mean, did, I mean, I guess it feels like something where you must have been exhibiting certain qualities, right. For people to say, you know what, it's time for you to get in here and become mayor. So, I mean, what, what were some of the things that were happening around that time? Yeah. So this is that culmination part you're talking yeah. about. <laughs> it's um, so doing a, a lot of community organizing around the substance use prevention, a lot of coalition building, uh, working with people across the city on different like health and wellness issues. And I took that policy and advocacy work, that I learned from doing that and started doing a lot of criminal justice reform work. At first it was just in my personal um, passion volunteer time. And I got involved with the Urban League of Nebraska Young Professionals and um, chaired their civic engagement committee. Spent a year uh, creating awareness around barriers that people face when they're coming home after incarceration and turned that into establishing Black and Brown Legislative Day where it was educating communities of color and people of color and students on how the um, de democracy and democratic processes work here in Nebraska as we have a unicameral and that's different from other states. So sitting there and being able to facilitate this uh, program where people are learning how to get involved in their local government, in their state government. And then that put me into where I am now as a director in uh, my nonprofit on policy and advocacy work. I am the director of policy and advocacy there. So working with state legislators, uh, legislators and trying to get um, bills passed that would help people as they are coming home from incarceration, help improve conditions that they're facing while incarcerated. And, and most of all, taking that preventative work that I've done with my uh, master's in public health and how do we keep people from even coming into contact and going with the law enforcement and going into prisons and jails anyway. So it's all of that uh, community work that I've been doing, the policy and advocacy work, and just really being able to collaborate across the city, you know, no matter who it was, working with people, different people, and putting that forward. And I think that's what really got people saying, hey, you need to take the next step. I'm talking with Omaha mayoral candidate Jasmine Harris today. Remember that you can follow Riverside Chats on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram and let us know what you think. I know what I think. Sometimes I get sick of hearing what I think. So please give me your opinion. I'd love to hear from you. We'll be back with more of the conversation with Jasmine Harris after this break. Hello? Want to be a munchie boy? Listen to Omaha's new goofy food podcast, The Munchie Boys. Every week, we get food from a different local restaurant. Let's go. 
We munch. Yes, there is munch. And talk about the experience. What we got. Where did we go? We're still there. Two boxes of food. In lighthearted banter. I just jammed the rest of the Mediterranean in my mouth. Meatball-based items. In a way that is both zany. This is going to be crazy. We might end up throwing up. And fun. My hands are burning. Hell yeah. Every episode features an exclusive song. Where we sing about our weekly adventures and feature a different analog it's a synth model. Play the track now. Now, yeah, we need to. Yeah. It sounds like haha, bro. Check out Munchy Boys on Spotify, YouTube, streaming or streaming, and most other digital outlets. If you're a fan of Riverside Chats and want to see the show not only continue but expand in new spin-off shows including a film club, a book club, and a news roundup, please consider becoming a Patreon at patreon.com slash riversidechats. For as low as just $1 a month, you get access to exclusive audio as well as our full backlog of episodes. Our most recent 50 are always free. Older than that goes behind the paywall. So you get that plus exclusive content over at patreon.com slash riversidechats. Please consider becoming a patron today. And welcome back to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Noblock. You can always find our most recent episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe, leave us a review today, become a patron, even over at patreon.com slash riversidechats to get access to our full backlog. As far as recent episodes go, that includes conversations with several people running for positions right here in our city. Today, I'm talking with Jasmine Harris, Omaha mayoral candidate and challenger to Gene Stothert. So when you talk about uh, the idea that people are ready for change, it seems like that's simultaneously true with the fact that there are a lot of people who actively don't want change. And then to be in a place like Omaha or Nebraska, more specifically, you've got, you know, even if a lot of people in Omaha, even if the, enough people in Omaha want change to really see different people get elected, you've still got a state where you have someone like Pete Ricketts who doesn't seem all that interested in radically shifting the way uh, a lot of these you know programs are done, especially the, t- the type that you're talking about. So when you talk about collaboration and we talk about something like the unicameral, which seems like a great idea, even though a lot of people are still committed to being very partisan, uh, what sort of future do you see for Omaha um, if you were to get elected, especially dealing with a, a culture that's not going to always be incredibly progressive? And, uh, you know, how, how do you find a happy medium and get some progress made? Yeah, um, we're in a fight for our future. Um, I tell people it's not this generation city anymore. We're preparing the city for my kids who are 19, 7, and 6. This is what we're in a fight for. And we all may have um, different ideas and ways to go about it. But at the end of the day, I think we all have the same basic things that we want to happen. We want safe communities. We want jobs with uh, livable wages. And we want to ensure that our voices are heard at City Hall in government. And so I think it's coming with those commonalities and saying, how can we move Omaha forward together? That's what coalition building is about, and that's what I think is missing. We leave people out of the process when we're talking about things that need to happen in our city from that government standpoint. But it's bringing people to the table from different sectors, if you will. What is this problem we're looking at? Who does it touch? Let's ensure that we have people at the table who are going through this. So, for instance, we're talking about the uh, trash contract and how everything is going, and people are like, these bins aren't working. You missed out on this. We should have had more of a community input on the, throughout the whole process. And that's what I want to bring. That's the vision that I have, that we are moving Omaha forward together. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I was talking with uh, Dewan Lamont Hayes the other day, and we were talking about this idea that Omaha doesn't seem, at least to me, to have that much of a cohesive culture. I mean, there are some, there's some overlap, but also it's just this combination of a bunch of different cultures that seem to be existing and the expanding city limits. But then they also have people who won't go to certain parts of the city, right? It doesn't feel especially unified. So when you talk about like building a coalition of Omaha together, I mean, what is, what's the actuality of getting that to be a thing to get everyone to listen and sort of to work with each other? How do you do that? I think it's getting people... Well, I would say the same room right now. That isn't possible (laughs) physically, but at at, at the end of the day, I think that's what it is. Um, People silo themselves and because I'm not going to that part of the city, 
there's no interaction. And I think we have to start having that interaction. Um, and no, I don't have like a specific, this is uh, the layout plan of how interaction is going to happen between just individual people. But it's, let's start brainstorming around how we can get people from different areas of the city to talk to each other. I know there was um, a program that was happening in another city, a couple of other cities, where uh, people would sign up and you would be matched with someone from a different area of the city and you could have um, facilitated questions and just have a conversation with somebody who you may not have ever talked to before. So I think ideas like that is what we start to um, start to implement so people can get out of their own ways of, well, I'm not going to go over there and I'm not going to talk to this kind of person. If you don't know who that person is or where, they, they're, where they're from, then that removes all of those um, uh, implicit biases, if you will, the unconscious bias of not being able to talk with someone and then start finding those commonalities. I think that's how we begin to uh, say, how can we move Omaha forward together? Have people bring down those biases and start working on the commonalities of we all want what's best. How do we then move that forward? Right. And so I'm, so I'm looking at your website right now with some of these uh, on here and you know the the way that they're they're formatted, uh, just the the broad ideas of things that you want to change or you want to focus on, they are things that don't seem controversial. And some, sometimes it's tough for me to realize that, you know why certain ideas are controversial. But so it's, it sort of goes back to what you've been talking about the whole time, which is um, you know t- like let's start with uh, employment with livable wages. It's one of those things where it's tough to me to sometimes even think about like why is that not a priority, right? Uh, because it just, it seems like a very common sense thing for any city. So let's talk about, uh, how, how does a mayor go about doing that? How do you make sure that there's livable wages for people in Omaha? It's getting people again in a room. (laughs) (laughs) Let's start looking at how can this pass, whether it's, um, changing the minimum wage. I know that a mayor cannot change the minimum wage right Mm -hmm. but it's the influence and getting the people together to say this is a plan that we can do and it's all about the political will if we know that there are so many people suffering let's start getting the key players into the same room so that way we can have a conversation on how can we impact this and move this forward right so with that coalition building piece Mm -hmm. i think we really miss out on how every part of our government has to work together. I don't know where there is a time that uh, the mayor, city council members, county commissioners, and state senators kind of come together for the city and say, hey, these are the issues that we're facing. Where, where can our seat work this out? And I think that's what needs to happen. How do we move and get living wages? I know at one time there was, um, I don't know, how many years ago was that? Maybe six or seven years ago, there was a petition going around to increase minimum wage um, or to get to $15 an hour. And I know that's at a state legislature level, but it's let's ensure that we have a strategic plan in place to move this forward. Yeah. Do you think that uh, COVID and the pandemic in this year have shifted a lot of the ways that people think about support? Like, you know, there's some section of people that would talk about, you know, like the welfare state as a sort of a derogatory thing. But then also it seems like a lot of the people who don't like that or a lot of people who maybe didn't have a strong opinion on that also can start to see in more stark terms the value of support from various places in government, whether that's at a local or a federal level. So do you think that people's values and their understanding of some of that is shifting right now as a, as a result of this year and last year? I would hope it is. I think a lot of people who uh, never would have thought they, were, they would find themselves in the positions to need the support have shifted their views. I know when COVID first came around, it was how are we going to get kids food who aren't in school anymore, who depend on those meals? Um, and I think what people started seeing was, oh, these things are in place for a reason. And I think once it um, becomes blatantly in your face, then then you start paying attention to it more. So I would hope that us going through the pandemic and it's bringing to light for a lot of people the struggle that many have 
can now bring us to the table to say, okay, how do we address this moving forward? And we call them, we call them safety nets and um, safety programs and things like that. But with public health, we talk about social determinants of health. I like to call them social determinants of life. Those are things like food. Those are things like housing that a lot of people struggled with during COVID. So I hope people are really starting to see the issues that a lot of our um, family members and friends in our city face. If you're just joining us, I am talking today with Omaha mayoral candidate Jasmine Harris. So another thing that's on your uh, website as far as different policy ideas is keeping young professionals in Omaha, which comes up a lot on this show. And it seems like everyone can sort of, once again, like you've been talking about, we can sort of agree that there's an issue with people leaving the city. I mean, we started this interview with me talking about, you know, why, why did you stay? Uh, sometimes I'm worried this show is just me trying to get other people to convince me to stay. So, I mean, what, what is it, uh, what is it you see as a possible future? How can Omaha become something that's a, a cool place to stay in or an easy choice to make as opposed to something where it's sort of like, you know, like so much I hear just, well, my family's here. And I mean, that's, that's not to downplay that, but it's different than saying like, Oh, the city is really cool. Right. So, I mean, what, what's your plan to keep young professionals in Omaha? I think it starts with real conversation. And when I was a part of the Urban League um, Young Professionals, there was a report that came out, um, the YP survey, and it talked about how African-American young professionals were three to four, I think three to four times less likely to uh, suggest Omaha to anyone to live, work, and play. So we started really trying to figure out, okay, where is this coming from? What are the underlying issues? How do we do that? So there was another survey where it really focused on um, what African-American young professionals and other young professionals of color um, saw as barriers to staying here in Omaha. And it became really evident that we need to improve our culture around inclusivity and equity. We do diversity well. Omaha is very diverse but we have to start working on how people feel included and how people are having access to equitable resources. So some of the young professionals, they wanna start businesses. They want um, to climb the corporate ladder where, you know, in, in the business arena, where we see there are very limited people of color when it comes to the, that C-suite leadership in businesses where entrepreneurs do not have the same access to capital to start their businesses. And so they leave to go to other places where they can advance more. So we have to start addressing that. And the Chamber of Omaha came up with code based off of um, that survey. And what code is doing is working with that with the business sector. And how do we increase um, the inclusivity and equity at um, your business and so these are like some of the top businesses in the city you know your fortune 500 companies things like that where they're working on improving the cultures in those businesses and i think that then starts permeating into people's homes um into uh, other cities because empathy can go a long way and i think once people start seeing it from that standpoint it then grows if that makes any sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it, it seems like a lot of your issues are positioning Omaha at sort of a crossroads where it could commit to moving in one direction or it could commit to stasis in some ways. And then I don't know if the stasis even holds really. But okay, so like, let's say some of those things that you're just talking about here um, from an economic standpoint are not done to make Omaha a little bit more appealing, a little bit more inclusive. I mean, what, what do you see the trajectory being right now should none of these things be implemented? What's, what's, the, what's the, the danger of staying the course right now? I think you find where a lot of people will not be here. It, it'll stay the same. Omaha, you talk about stasis, and, and I said uh, Omaha's been stagnant. You know, you see growth in some parts of the city, but other people are like, there, there's no growth in my area of the city. 
I talk about how North Omaha still looks the same as it did when I was five years old. That's that's like about as far back as I you know, can remember. And so how do we overcome that stagnation? We want young professionals to stay here and to be here because it's going to be young professionals who continue moving the city forward. We have to have them at the tables. We have to have them in the room informing how we create an Omaha that's going to be able to uh, work for not only them, but like I said earlier, for the generation after us, for our children. So uh, when we talked about, I mean, a, a little bit about the, the culture outside of Omaha itself, I mean, we, we saw in 2020 that Governor Ricketts occasionally uh, is going to, I guess, I don't know if it was a bluff exactly, but even if like a pandemic comes along and a mayor wants to do a, a mask mandate, that becomes now something that's threatened with litigation. So I guess why I bring that up is there's sort of the clash of cultural mindsets that are happening at a state level versus a city level. So, I mean, do you see this as something that, I mean, is Omaha and maybe Lincoln and some of these spots, are they always sort of outliers? Or do you think are some of the changes that you see in attitudes is there a chance that Nebraska itself shifts or, I mean, is, is Omaha, you know, I don't know, an outlier, uh, you know, maybe for the, for the long run. Omaha, I think what, what happens in Omaha permeates to the other part of our state. And I think that shift in attitude, attitude can happen. What, what does it take for that shifting attitude to happen though? I mean, about any of these issues, what, cause I mean, it's funny because we, we talk about Omaha as being, you know, as, as anywhere in the Midwest, it sort of takes longer for a lot of shifts to actually make it a lot of trends to make it to the Midwest. But then you've got like the Omaha version of that. And then you've got the, you know, the Western Nebraska version of that. And so, I mean, how, how, do, how does change happen in a state like Nebraska outside of just maybe like one city that has progressive people or two, you know, two cities that have real progressive movements. Because I believe if we are truly working across party lines, it can happen. And I think it's really, again, finding those commonalities that we all need to, you know, that we all want to see improved. And I think it can permeate across the state. We see, I mean, at at a federal level right now where it seems like though that attitude makes sense, it's also met with certain people who don't want to work with party lines, right? They don't, there are some people who would rather have wedge issues create conflict than try to find commonality and it almost seems like the the national climate is so not based on trying to find commonality even though there's sort of these there's sort of this empty promise that oh unity is the thing that we need even though we're not going to really try that hard to make that a reality so i mean are, are you ultimately are you are you feeling optimistic about our, our political system right now whether that's at a local or a national level i'm optimistic at a local level for sure um i see so many people um, getting into the race and wanting to see the change and be the change. And I think, like we talked earlier, the shift in who's running for office. I think once people start finding their voice and seeing that it can be done, you'll start seeing, you know, that hope permeate throughout as well. So let's talk about another one of the issues that's on your side here, which is the proactive public health approach. I think public health is certainly something that a lot of people have on their minds in a way that maybe they didn't a couple of years ago, um, or at least in a more direct way. So what's what's your vision for public health in Omaha? When I um, enrolled into UNMC's uh, public health program, I didn't know how much public health touched and then started really digging into it. And I think we are starting to see that now, like you said, now it's on everybody's mind, like, oh my gosh, because we're in a pandemic, but it affects so much outside of a pandemic. And being proactive means we see an issue, what are we doing about it now? What are we doing to prevent whatever may come up from it, instead of waiting until it happens and being reactionary. I think we have become a reactionary um, society and we need to move towards a preventative, proactive approach. So for instance, when we're looking at COVID-19, we became so reactionary, a mask mandate should have been put in place you know, before it was put in place. Um, we should have been talking about sheltering in place years ago when there was um, 
I think it was under President Obama when it's like uh, uh, Ebola when that was happening. It's like okay, so what happens if there's another airborne kind of disease that comes across? Like we have all should have had proactive approaches put in place at the city and state level that could have already saved us losing lives unnecessarily. So that's what I mean by proactive. Making sure that these protocols are in place, ensuring that our public health and medical experts are leading us in those times and not playing party politics. So what outside of a, the context of a pandemic, what are other ways that the city could be more proactive? When I'm talking about the uh, social determinants of life, safe and affordable housing is somewhere that we can be proactive. Right now, um, we are seeing still a large amount of eviction hearings, and there's an eviction moratorium. We should not be putting people out. We need to be proactive on that. We need to figure out how are we working around the issue that many people in our city cannot afford their rent. That then plays into jobs with living wages and the underemployment piece. It's all connected and we have to start making those connections to understand how can we be proactive in preventing this. And, and for me, this all plays into public safety, right? When people don't have jobs, when people um, don't have a place to go to, what, what do they turn to? How do they get their most basic needs met? And that's where the public safety comes into factor. Um, being proactive is also on that standpoint when we're talking about law enforcement. Let's ensure that we are proactive where people don't have to come into contact with law enforcement. What are we doing when it comes to getting people services that they need, like mental health and substance use services? Because we see a lot of contact with law enforcement based off of someone having a mental health episode or something like that. So it's being preventative and proactive in ensuring that we're getting people connected to resources and services. So that seems like a, a useful way to talk about the opposite of stagnation, right? Because if, if we're talking about stagnation and we're talking about stasis, right, then the way that you, uh, the way that you address any problem would always be reactionary, right? Because you're not trying to necessarily shift anything. You're not trying to make any changes. So proactivity, I guess that sort of ties all of your issues together, right? And sort of your whole philosophy for the city is let's be proactive because that will actually impact a bunch of things because everything, you know, leads to, uh, you know, everything is interconnected in some way. All these issues are not existing in a vacuum. Yes, most definitely. And I think that's how a lot of people operate in. Well, this is housing and that's just it. No, housing comes into play when we're talking about public safety. Housing comes into play when we're talking about people not being able to afford rent. What are the jobs looking like? Oh, well, people can get a job, but how are they getting there? Transportation fees into that. So it, it's all interconnected and we have to start ensuring that we are looking at it holistically. Was it something where, because of your experience um, working and working in the community specifically that to, I mean, it sounds like to come up with a solution for one thing, just like we talked about now, also can't exist in a vacuum. So it's sort of like the vision for the city almost has to address all of these things, which means it has to be a pretty expansive vision. So when you were putting that together, is that something where you felt like you, uh, I mean, was it difficult to put together the overall vision? Is it something that's still evolving or how did it come, come into fruition for you? I think it's going to always be evolving because I don't want it just to be Jasmine's vision. Again, I am a firm believer that people everyday people have solutions to our problems. So it's bringing them into this, getting their opinions on, you know, what do you see working? What, what are you facing every day and how do you maneuver around it? And taking those gems and, and building it out so that it the city works for everyone and not just Jasmine because Jasmine said so, or not just because this elected official up here had this great idea and that's what happened. Well, I think that's a good way to sort of tie the, your philosophy together. Um, so what is a good place, a good resource people should go if they want to learn more about your campaign? You can go to my website at voteforjasmine.com, and that's F-O-R-J-A-S-M-I-N-E. 
Um, uh, we are very active on social media. My Facebook and Twitter are at Jasmine for Mayor. So very easy to find. Um, we're on Instagram too. So those are all the good places and uh, email to get a hold of us is info at voteforjasmine.com. All right. One last random question I want to ask. It's the same thing. I think I asked Cammy something like this too. <laughs> but, um, so if you, if you win, is there any chance you're going to do a song about Omaha or perform in some way, you know, to tie, tie things back to your youth passion? <laughs> I would never say never. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'm hopeful. I'm open. I, I, I'm a, a fun individual. I, I will, you know, you see uh, elected officials kind of do some of those uh, things like dancing with the stars, uh, Omaha version or something like that. So I would never close myself off from doing something. <laughs> All right. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today. I really enjoyed getting to learn you learn about you and your vision more today. Thank you so much, Tom. Riverside Chats is produced in conjunction with KIOS and Exarban Creative. Our original music is written and performed by The Real Zebos. Our artwork is done by Ben Matukowicz. Remember, we have a backlog of many episodes. There are a lot of Midwestern people or people that have some various connection to what we talk about on this show. Who I've talked to. It's been a lot. we got quite a lot of them now. You can find all of that over at patreon.com slash riversidechats. You get access to everything we've done for $1 a month. So please consider that. And also please consider subscribing wherever you do get your podcasts. Leave us a review and let me know what you think. I I, I talk about this before, but uh, if you really want to figure out how to get sick of your own voice, host a radio show and edit it. Because sometimes you think like, wow, I know what I'm going to say here. I know how I feel about all these things. So let me know what you think. Follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Give me some comments. Give me some feedback. Let me know what you're, what's up with, what do you think about this thing that's going on? What questions do you have for guests? Who do you want to see on the show? What do you think our city should look like? As always, I appreciate you listening, so thank you for that. I'm Tom Noblock. We'll be back next week.